0: Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the voices from the land.
1: Okay, hello and welcome to this podcast on Indigenous languages. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous languages podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspectives and voices on Indigenous language revitalization. We are seeking to capture a range of perspectives to better reflect the many peoples engaged in Indigenous language revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes, or whose children have taken language classes, we can gain more insight into what are the challenges and barriers, as well as the solutions and positives that are out there. In turn, we hope this will form a larger discussion on how to support indigenous language revitalization. In this episode, our guest is Felicia Huff. She is a parent guardian of a child in a Non-Emergent Indigenous Language Program. Hello, Felicia, and welcome to the Indigenous Language Podcast. We are happy you can join us today. How are you?
0: Hi, Gordon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. We got some crazy weather in my area of the province, but other than that, it's been, uh, it's been a really nice day so far.
1: Yes, uh, maybe we can just uh, uh, start by you talking about where you're from like your background i don't know what community you're from but maybe you could talk a bit about your community uh, and your your family background
0: okay yeah so um I'll, I'll do my um anishinaabe um introduction so um uh which is also chippewa the thames in in southwestern ontario so i'm crane clan so I am from Chippewa, the Thames, and I, I, was, uh, I grew up in London, in the city, um, where there was no language, no Anishinaabe support, um, Anishinaabe Moan support, and then I, I had my children, so I have uh, two children that went completely through the education system, the early years system and the education system in our community, and are now young adults in uh, Chippewa, and so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about my background.
1: Uh, I'm just uh, curious as to what the uh, Chippewa people. Uh, what is the like? Is that a Ojibwe? Is that a part of Ojibwe, or is it completely different from the Ojibwe?
0: Yeah, it's a we're Ojibwe speaking um, community. Yeah, uh, we don't have any fluent speakers in our uh, born fluent speakers in our community, but we have access to some of the neighboring community uh, fluent speakers for our teaching. And so as a result of that, we did support some uh language immersion programming for some of the adults. So we do have a few, um uh I don't know if they call themselves language or fluent language speakers, but I would consider them quite fluent just by hearing hearing what they've been doing and, and I guess a lot of the support they're giving back to community.
1: As a parent or guardian of a child in, uh, in an indigenous language program or or uh, I'm not sure what level they're at. Can you describe the program and how it functions? And maybe its location, the number of students, and so on.
0: Okay. Um, so I have a a son that is and then I have a daughter who is five years younger than him. So right now my son is 23 and my daughter is 18. And so for them, what young, I guess what their their early learning looked like was being at home with me and going through what I could give them, so I I have very minimal language uh, resource, but I did have I, I mean I had a dictionary and I had I think the basics. So at home before they started early years, we did we did as much as we could do then just with simple translation of words, common common words and common phrases, and then they went into early years and then they went into our elementary school. We have our school Antler River Elementary. Which right now, we're trying to classify ourselves as a... They're, they, they're trying to transition into an immersion school. However, I think we would be classified more as a, um, a dual language school. So we're still predominantly English in that school. So that's currently. And then during the time that my children were going to school, they were taking classes with one teacher so one teacher was rotating through the whole school so that's a that's very very minimal and it it didn't translate to other classes it didn't overlap or I guess infiltrate into other classes and so it was just a it was just a real quick language you know the the 30 40 minutes and then it wasn't reinforced in any other forum not in the community, not in, certainly not in their home, because, you know, we, I wasn't able to keep up with what was, what they were doing, but they, yeah, so they had that, and with that being said, the language teacher that they had, they both had the same teacher, wasn't local to this area, Um, however, you know, we, we've seen the, the similarities, but the dialect was much, much different, and as a parent, I always said it was better to have something than to have nothing, right? So, you know, we were we were supportive to um, what he was teaching our children. And then they finished grade eight. And then in this area, so they went to school in both London and Strathroy. My son was able to take a language class as a high school student, which was similar to what he was learning in elementary. So it, it didn't really level up much. And then my daughter, they didn't offer that at her high school and so our community worked with the education, the municipal education system there to offer her a one-on-one opportunity with a language, affluent fluent speaking teacher. Again, you know, that's just uh, that that short time that she's in that class and no additional support outside of just being in the high school course.
1: Right. Maybe you can uh, just explain the... Uh... Uh, is the uh, the school that your, your children are going to? Is it a is it a separate school than the 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 regular uh, Ontario School Board education system? Is it or is it is it a, a school in the community or is it part of the uh, regular school system?
0: Yeah, so Chippewa took jurisdiction of their own education system back in the '80s, and so with that we. Also adopted the provincial um, teaching methods and standards. Um, we didn't have any on-reserve teachers, but I believe at the time that they took over, they did have some fluent speakers in the community. Um, but we failed to we failed to get a lang- we failed to get a language program up and running. As a result of, I think you probably know, the lack of funding that was available for us.
1: I take it that from what you're saying that there's a lack of opportunity for your for your children to speak languages or the indigenous language outside the uh, the school system. Is there more? Are there other places where they have an opportunity to speak uh, their language, indigenous languages, or is it just limited to the school? And
0: uh, yeah, so so currently in our community we do have a language department that is I I, I would say fairly new and. In the model that they're currently in so they're they're taking more more hands-on more ownership of what that department looks like and so we Chippewa went through a comprehensive community plan about 10 or 11 years ago and community didn't identify they did want language they did want culture and so you know we had we had a land claim and so this is a community fund initiative this department you know based on what community wanted and so as a result of that department existing we now have additional programming so with that being said the majority of it was you know just these small community social type events like you know there's the the odd bingo there's you know different different things like that and then just recently um within the last uh, i'm gonna say four years they took a, they took it a step up and they they tried to partner with i think at one time it was uh, university in toronto um maybe fanshawe but they're actually offering an immersion program for adults in the community. So that's, that's unique because our post-secondary program, programming funding guidelines don't support non-accredited course. Chippewa still wanted it. They still wanted for some of the speakers that are um, in the community to be working with our members. And so we used our, our land claim money again to support and fund this program. And so now, those students that have that are ad- adults decide they want to go back to learning the language have um, applied to this additional funding, which it's not at par with the provincial funding, just because we don't have, you know, so mu- we only have so much money to work with. But as adults, there there is opportunity there. As children, so if my children were younger, I I would say certainly not. There's 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 not enough programming to help support them actually becoming fluent.
1: I think that uh, from what you're saying, the uh, based on the community initiatives uh, that the band seems to be taking taking on, that language revitalization is an important part of the communities. Would you consider it a priority of the community?
0: Yeah, between all of the all of the needs in a community, it it, it was very interesting to see where language ended up being ranked, and it was quite high. And I think as a result of that comprehensive plan, it came back to our people struggling and not having the identity that was going to help guide them. And so that's where our community spread. I think they, they took time supporting, you know, the, those theories, right? And so language ended up getting into the spotlight that it needed. And with that being said, you know, between political leadership and community, there was a lot of lobbying and advocacy that still needed to happen, even with those known um, facts that you know that we know that language is a, a natural support to self identity and and self development and you know um your own your own growth and you know those things we still had to we still really had to spell out what language really needed to look like in our community with all of the unknowns, we were still struggling, but we, we definitely put it to the forefront more than it's ever been in, in all those, you know, in all the years that we've been organizing and running our own, you know, our own affairs.
1: What's the size of your community? What's the population?
0: So right now I believe, and you know, without, having the figures in front of me we're we're a population of about um just over three thousand Um on reserve we're probably maybe up towards 1500 in like residents
1: right is it near uh it's here in london is it or is it near sarnia yeah
0: we're close to london yeah we're about 30 minutes west of london
1: okay I just want to get um an idea where it is Let's talk a little bit about some obstacles and barriers that the program is is facing. You talked about a little bit about the lack of teachers. You said one teacher for the whole school. And uh, maybe you also mentioned something about lack of uh, funding. You had to use uh, uh, land claims money. Tell us a a little bit about uh, some obstacles and barriers for your child in, in taking this course and being able to, uh, uh sustain itself,
0: yeah, so for the funding portion of this, so all of the you know the the fifteen years that it took for my children, both my children, to be in and out of that system, they had one teacher, and that one teacher had been with our community for twenty something years, twenty years, really in like just uh isolated, I guess you know no one was um able to support him in any way because no one else had language, and so he didn't even, we weren't even able to give him, so he was a visitor to the community. We weren't even able to give him the resource to develop a proper curriculum. So it was really, um, you know, really unsupported, unresearched, un, you know, undervalued for sure uh, language program. And so that was all we had. I understand you know education funding models with the province or with the federal government, and I know that and i 've you know i 've sat in meetings with federal um, representatives and we 've stated you know time and time again our communities are are, are severely underfunded when it comes to you know an, an, um, our our own languages um, and and further to that we 've done research like we understand that the French counterparts in the in the province are receiving. You know very adequate funding for their programs and have been for 50 and plus years and so just having that information available to us it it gives us something it gives us a place to start it gives us a place to start to begin you know negotiating for realistic funding we're not just asking f- to be funded at par we're asking that we need to be brought up to speed we need to be brought 50 years ahead because we've had language speakers in our community always need to go back home they can't stay they can't stay with us and so we can't sustain a program as long as we're not um producing emergent, like language speaking fluent language speaking members and so what you know where's the where does this where does the line start there and that's one of the biggest battles that we have is retaining language speaking teachers so that's you know that 20 years that we had a language speaking teacher we didn't have proper supports to actually cash in on what twenty years looks like and so so he's gone. Fast forward to now we have teachers coming and going. They might stay for two or three years. And at the last call that we made for teachers in our in our teeth in our school, we weren't able to get anybody that was able to come and relocate for what we would max out our budget we were able to to you know to come up with an increase to the budget and it's still not enough you know there's there's such a cost of living increase that has happened over the last couple of years but we're asking people to you know uproot themselves to come and help our community and people just can't afford that and so if they can it's for a very short time and and it's just it's not matching up you know the investment that we're able to make isn't is not it's not we're not seeing the rewards of, of that. And so that, again, always translate back into more lobbying and more advocacy with, with our federal funding. So what does that look like for our children? Well, I mean, it's it's a choppy language program. It's a program that, that, that gets a little bit of momentum, you know, and we have, we have babies in our immersion program that are taking language home to parents that haven't been lucky enough to have something that concrete and that stable in their in their language journey and they're taking it home and now we have grandparents that are that are excited and happy to see that these babies are learning the language and then the problem becomes now that they're, that they you know they age out they turn into preschool and you know grade school and then they go into our school which again is is really kind of the root of you know or i wouldn't even say root i would say they need to carry the torch, and they're not able to. Our school isn't able to take take up where earlier is leaving off, right? And so it's it's like two steps forward and one step backwards. And so that's where our kids are at. That's what that's what they have to work with. And when you you know when you're a student and you see the effort that people expect you to put in, and then all of a sudden there's nothing. How do you start to develop a, a real strong belief that language matters? If, how how do you start to see where it fits in? with your you know with your future with your your job thinking your planning and you know um we have a few we have a handful of youth that say i want to be the first youth that's fluent and i want to be the first family that raises fluent speaking babies like we have a few that see that but we certainly don't have enough support for more to feel that way and again you know it's we can get the ball rolling but we can't we can't make promises that we can continue with that kind of programming
1: right yeah i'm quite impressed with uh, the fact that you you have children that are learning the indigenous language in their schools where there's no speakers in the community at all and that you have to and i'm kind of surprised i'm very surprised to hear that that you have to go outside the community am i correct in saying and uh, hearing that from you did i hear you correct me that you actually have to uh, look outside the community for teachers to come in. Are there no language indigenous language speakers in your community?
0: Yeah, that's correct. We're constantly ref- recruiting, so we're we're trying to get our current staff into language learning mode, and that's tough. But they're willing to. We have a lot of staff that are willing to take language immersion courses, but we really only have a couple of speaking members that have been kind of uh, I'll, I'll say seconded to our language department to do work in those areas and so you know we need a we need quite a few more speakers to be able to to um, make commitments inside the school and it's not that they haven't supported us it's not that they haven't tried to be teachers in that school but we're trying to get to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is that as long as we keep having visitors coming and going, we're not going to have the consistency. And so, you know, going back and, you know, talking about um, immersion courses for our members is kind of where we decided to focus that effort, like the effort and the resource. Let's start funding the folks that are here and are going to stay here. Let's start to see if that's going to be where we can build a stronger foundation for language
1: Yeah, you're doing uh, amazing community work uh, in your community. I'm just also wondering, at what point did, I think at some point, uh, uh, that there was the community were speaking their Indigenous language. Uh, Do you remember that far back, or are you too young for that? When did it start disappearing?
0: So I don't remember. So it would have been, he would have been my great, great, great grandfather, that I remember, my mom and my grandma telling stories about my great-great-grandfather was one of the few that still spoke in the language. And the stories that I remember were how stigmatizing that was for him. And so we, you know, Chippewa had a residential school right in the community. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that really, um, it really manifested itself inside the community. And so learning the language was definitely off, you know, off the rec- off the records, but. Speaking the language was also obviously very taboo, right? And so my grandfather that was speaking was at at later, the latest parts of his life was criticized for being a speaker. No one understood what he was saying. You know, I I think, you know, people would, I think at some point, you know, that we were we were brainwashed, right, into thinking that there was there was something very wrong with that. But he he did. I, I, I believe he passed away not being an English speaker. And so, you know, that, I'm not sure how many years ago that was, but I'm going to say probably about 60 years ago, maybe 50. And, and so in my own personal family, that, that would be my connection to a, a language speaker. Outside of my family, we had a couple of women that did gather and did speak in the language, and I knew them. I knew who they were, but I didn't know them as language-speaking women. Um, I didn't know, like as being a young, young, young person in the community, didn't make the connection that, you know, how valuable what they were keeping alive in our language was going to be for us, right? I just knew that they were, you know, they were kind of nurturing community togetherness and things like that. And so, you know, after they passed on, I would say that's probably when we started to be really scared about, you know, the language being gone from our community. So that was probably, I would say, maybe 40, maybe 35 years ago.
1: Let's talk a little bit about some of the positives that have come out of uh, this learning, this, uh, this this language program that your children are involved in. Describe and uh, tell us a bit about what are the good things that you see have come out of this this, this program about your children learning their indigenous language.
0: Um, so, with the early years programming, I think that's probably the easiest one to talk about because talk about because they have, I think, they have the most support it's it's an early years program so the majority of the staff are local like uh, community members and residents that's a you know that's a big pretty big deal and uh direction that they took probably to learn language and to become a language known school was probably about maybe eight eight or nine years ago so almost right after the ccp had you know kind of went out into the community and so they they brought in again visitors into the community making sure that every classroom, every teacher was making commitments to become a language speaking um, environment for the, for the children. Right. So that that's been going pretty strong since um, that staff has main, you know, they've maintained the majority of the staff. So they have a very low turnover again in that program. They're, they're funded, I think at a little bit of a better rate and they're supported by the community own source revenue, just a little bit, better they don't have the needs that a bigger school would have and so they can focus their own source revenue funding on language and so that program is doing well and I think as a result of seeing what the ripple effect of having those babies go home to their parents and grandparents has had in our community because now we have people talking about these little babies are speaking the language and they're saying this in the language. That's exciting. And so as a result of that happening, the earlier's program has decided to do language initiatives for all community. So about maybe three or four years ago, they did a language challenge. So they fundraised to do it, to do this language speaking challenge. I don't know if they called it a speaking bee or I forget how, how it went out. But they did word lists over like five months, and they would publish a new word list every month, and and it was simple translation. And they had cash prizes. It was exciting for people to to be involved because they had lunch and learns and things like that. And then um, the youth that were learning those words at home, I mean at school, were going home, and there were all of a sudden there were adults that were also learning it. So that's a campaign. That campaign started to, you know, to really develop and grow. And then, of course, you know, COVID happened and it really put a damper on that. And so the numbers kind of diminished there. They're still they're still trying. Right. They're still fundraising. They're still, you know, providing some virtual things. But that's that's probably one of the best indicators that people are still willing and will find the time to try and do. You know, it's hard work, but they'll, they're still trying to do it. So I would say that is one of our our best pathways to success there. If they, you know, if they can overlap some of that support into community, into homes, we'll start to, to be able to make more connections with the school. And then, you know, the kids, it's just, I always say it's like when, When, you know, when, when we decided smoking wasn't good for us and we were going to take it serious, we did no smoking campaigns. Kids were hearing it everywhere they went. No smoking, no smoking. We, you know, we, we made a real effort to change that, you know, what it looked like. That's what we needed to do in our community was language. We needed to hear that it's everywhere. But again, you know, like even, you know, despite that being the most positive thing, it's a real um, roller coaster, right? Because we have such a lack of the resource. But we proved that it's possible for more people to take it serious and for more people to, to make time to commit to being more fluent and learning more language.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of interesting things, uh, a lot of positive things in your community to revitalize the language, uh, which is quite impressive to me. We're getting close to this podcast interview, and i got just, we've got a couple more questions for you. You may have touched on this question before, but uh, let's just kind of recap, uh, or uh, I just want to rephrase this again. Maybe you, I think you did talk a little bit about some uh, some things that, that can allow children, for people to uh, who are learning the indigenous language in their communities, to to see it improve. What would you like to see improve in your community or in the uh, indigenous language program that your children are involved in, so that they can be more successful? What would you like to see improve?
0: So I think the biggest thing is that we needed to evaluate what we were working with. Being a part of the education system and recognizing that we weren't set up to succeed was a pretty big deal. It was a it was a pretty um it was an eye opener to see where we were we were receiving funding in comparison to where french speakers were receiving money because we were saying, well, if they can do it, why can't we? And and that puts pressure it puts pressure on the very few that are trying to do the work, right? But knowing that, you know, that's that's not a fair comparison made a pretty big deal and so it revised our approach. We revised our approach instead of trying to um, you know, to to pull in some a heavy amount of language and call ourselves an emergent school we did take a couple of steps back and say okay maybe we need to just bring in a little bit of language so what would help us more is being able to have I think a, the proper resource to do a comprehensive like a strategic plan just for language not just for the school I would say for the entire community and right now we don't have anything like that in the works we don't have any data I would say to to start doing that and so you know just having the very few language advocates know that we need we need more that's just not enough you know we definitely have to stop and take the time to really take measure of where we're at that's to me like I mean that's you know that's comprehensive and thorough and it's less about getting kids speaking the language in the short term but it's thorough and i think that's where i would i would put all you know i would put all my eggs in that basket just knowing that at some point those adults that missed out would be able to catch up and then those ones being born would have that we don't have any language comprehensive planning in the works we don't have anything that you know that is really identifying where we're actually at and we've never had those kinds of conversations because we just we're so we're so good at knowing and trying to work with what we have and what we don't have we're we're so good at just trying to um you know put band-aids on things and trying to to scrape up just enough to get by. And so if you know if I was to make that change, if I was to you know to to just find you know find the resource, that would be where I would make the investment.
1: Are you? Uh, <clears throat> do you have? Uh, are, you, are you a learner yourself? Are you speak, Are you uh, speaking the? Are you learning to speak the language yourself?
0: Uh, not formally, no. I um I was a part of the language challenge a, a couple of years ago. I had really taken an effort into trying to learn, you know, all the words and things like that. But personally, like um I I do have a um I do teach a course with the call like a local college, and I bring alum- the language into that. I I bring the idea that language is important into that and so i'm i'm always re reminding myself that i can't you know i can't just say those things and not follow up and act on it right so um as far as formal no but informally yes
1: so you're also uh, a teacher
0: i i do some instruction yeah
1: (laughs) well that's good are you part of uh, are you part of uh, an indigenous language committee that's in the community? Is there a committee that, that kind of oversees this language uh revitalization program?
0: We do have our leadership, so our chief and council does have portfolios, and because that's a department, I'm assuming that they have a committee. I don't know how functioning it is right now, like we, you know, we're. I mean, everybody's going through stuff because of COVID, but I think that just as far as leadership goes, I think we have some aligning and realigning to do. But I, I actually sit on the board of education, so I'm an education trustee. So I've been, I've been pretty well aware of, you know, what's happening at the elementary level um, with language for the last, I would say, maybe 12 years.
1: Okay, last question: Is there anything else you'd like to add or share about children learning their indigenous language? in an emergent Uh, setting
0: yeah like i i I strongly believe that this this is it has to be a community initiative it cannot be just this this one individual child going to school you know and spending their six hours doing this you know this beautiful thing it has to be a part of their whole entire life and for that to happen you know it's hard work for all of us it's hard work for parents but if if we're being honest about language revitalization it absolutely has to color every aspect of our lives. We can't just expect our par- our, our babies, and our youth to carry this heavy load because it's a lot of work. And so, you know, <clears> as far as you know, program providers and and in community supports, um, listen to what your community says. They're saying they want language and culture back. And and yeah, it is hard work, but it's worth it's worth the effort always. So yeah, I just I just like to share that that I strongly believe in that.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Felicia, for taking the time to talk to us about language revitalization in your community. On behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation, I wish you all the best and thank you again very much.
0: Thank you so much. Have a good day. Spend the Land is a podcast
1: project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David
0: Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.